0: Really appreciated that this morning, beautifully done. In fact, after hearing them sing that song, I'm kind of, if I'm honest, a little uh, embarrassed to have to tell you what I have to tell you this morning, and that is that sometimes I struggle with discouragement. I don't know if I struggle more than other people. I I guess I've never taken a survey. How often do you struggle with discouragement? But if... I'll, I'll tell you what. It seems like I struggle with it more than other people do. Discouragement is a crazy kind of thing because we are so blessed and we recognize that we're blessed and, you know, when we think about all the things that we have, I mean... Really, the poorest here probably lives much better than the kings used to live, even a few hundred years ago. We have conveniences that many only dreamed about and wished they could have. Kings that wanted to send messages had to entrust people to carry them over long distances and Take months, perhaps, to get to the other king or to those that they they needed to communicate with. There's even a battle that was fought in the Revolutionary War that didn't need to be fought. The treaty had already been signed. The end of the war had come. And yet, a battle was fought because communication didn't allow for the, the two sides to know. Lives were lost needlessly. So we have so much. We've been blessed with so much. If I want to make a phone call to my grandparents and the the family as they're going through this, I I mean, I can make a phone call. I I can speak with them in real time. It's amazing. It really is. And yet... We think about our blessings, our, the food and the home that we have and friends, and we have all these things. And I think that if someone from Africa were to look at us and say, You get discouraged? I, I would kind of, it'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? But you know, it seems to me that discouragement isn't something that just plagues me, it's just something that plagues a lot of people. In fact, Some have suggested that it's Satan's favorite weapon to use against God's children. I don't know why we sing songs like that, and it really, man, it it does. It just kind of makes us feel kind of silly. And I know I don't struggle with discouragement all by myself. I know that I'm not alone in this. I know that you face it. Maybe not as much or maybe more. And you know what? It's not, I don't think there's a prize for who gets the most or who gets the less discouraged. But discouragement comes to all of us. Sometimes, you know, we have this statement that's made about how that God doesn't put on us more than we can handle. It's not in the Bible. Now, it says that we won't have more temptation than than what uh, we can escape from, that he'll provide a way of escape, but he never says that we're never going to have more difficulties and challenges and battles than what we can handle. He says that he will help us carry the load and with his help, we'll be able to see it through. And there are times that God allows in our lives challenges that we believe are greater than our ability to cope with. And I believe it's true. I believe that, you know, really, I don't know how to cope with this. And this isn't, this isn't something new. This happens throughout Scripture. Elijah, is running from Jezebel. She's going to kill him. And, and he's discouraged and maybe even depressed. And he's saying, Lord, just take me now. Don't let Jezebel do it. I figure she'll hurt worse than, than what you do. And I know some people kind of fault Elijah because, you know, he's, he, he just had a huge answer to prayer and fire from heaven and rain. And, and man, Elijah, God's really blessing you. What's wrong with you? Me too. I've been really blessed. God's really given me way too much for me to have a legitimate Reason to be discouraged, but the thing in front of me right now is bigger than what I can handle. And Elijah felt that way. He felt like it was more than he could handle. David felt that. He's being pursued by Saul. God's made a promise he's going to be king. And Saul is pursuing him. And he gets discouraged. And when I read through the Psalms, I say, man, David, you beat me on discouragement. He really does. I mean, I don't read the Psalms to get encouraged. I know other people do, but I tell you what, when I read about David, I mean, this is what he says, poor me, poor me, pray, poor me, praise the Lord, anyhow. I'm like, oh, David, that doesn't help me. I know that helps other people. That just doesn't help me very much. And I know we're supposed to praise the Lord anyhow, and maybe if I'd praise the Lord a little bit, maybe that'd help me. But but David just doesn't help me out. You know, when two discouraged people get together, they don't usually leave encouraged. You get two discouraged people together, and man, you give each other ideas about why you should even be more discouraged than you already are. Maybe David helps you. He, does, he Man, he doesn't. What he does do is he helps me understand that that I can still love God and I can serve God and still have some discouragement in my life. And that I shouldn't shouldn't get discouraged because I am discouraged. You know, I think that's sometimes how the devil works is he likes to discourage us because we're discouraged. You know, we hear a song like that and and it's so nice and it's so good and, and, and it's almost like the devil just jumps up on our shoulder and says, see, you don't have any reason to be discouraged. You're so blessed and here you are discouraged. Some child of God you are. And so a song that should, should really help us and encourage us, Satan uses it and twists the words and twists the meaning. And even really twists the, the, the uh, purpose that, for that songwriter wrote that song. He, Satan will twist anything he can to just bring us lower and lower and lower. Every single family, as I look across this, have a reason to be discouraged this morning. Every one of you are facing battles. Every one of you are facing things that are bigger than you. And if it's not affecting directly you, it's affecting people you love very much. What do we do when life is bigger than us? What do we do when the challenges are bigger than what we can handle? I think we can do like Elijah did. I think we can just find a place to, you know, dig a hole and just say, Lord, here I am in this hole. I'll wait here till I die. You know, a lot of people have done that. A lot of people in history have done that. They just kind of dug a hole. Here I am. I'm going to go hide in this cave. In fact, they, even some of them were considered really spiritual. You know, these spiritual hermits. They didn't want to deal with people. Wow, I mean, even some of them have gotten saint status. And really, they just were discouraged and they didn't want to deal with people anymore. We can do that. Most of us don't do that, though. Most of us, we pretend. We pretend we're okay. We pretend that we're not discouraged. And when we come into church and and I shake your hand and I ask how you're doing, you tell me you're doing good and inside you're dying and outside really you're... We won't call it lying because, man, that would be, that would be sin. We'll just call it, you know, being polite. Inside, you're dying. You, this has been a rough week. It's been a hard week. But you're coming to church and, and you're hopeful that, that a good service and a, a good songs and, and, and a good time of prayer and, and a mediocre message will help you out. You'll feel a little better and get a little boost. And maybe you do when you go and you shake hands and and you go home and it's still waiting for you, that trial, that same battle, that same discouragement. I have a friend who lives with chronic depression. He calls it it his old yellow dog. He says it travels, it's right out of his heels like a dog does. Follows him everywhere he goes. And some days that dog is is bigger and meaner and sometimes it just kind of lays there but it's always there for him he always suffers this low level of depression my heart goes out to him he loves the lord he god has blessed him in so many ways and he would tell you he doesn't have a right to be depressed he just is and i'm sure it has something to do with the, his biochemistry with the makeup of of, of his body but I think every day, he has to pretend to be okay. Every day, he has to pretend that, that the blessings of this life are enough. Even though inside, he, every day, he struggles feeling, not just discouraged, but depressed. And it's hard. And people who've never been depressed, they don't get it. I think it's a little bit like arthritis. You can't see arthritis. You can't tell if someone has arthritis unless I mean it's so bad their, their joints are mangled, and that's. But most of the time, we don't see that that person is living in constant pain. And unless you get an x-ray, you get a doctor to say, yes, you have arthritis. But even then, so you've got this diagnosis that you have arthritis, but nobody knows that you're still living in this pain. And you go day after day, and you go to work, and you go to church, and you do your thing with this invisible pain that nobody really knows about. And even if you talk about it, if they haven't had arthritis, they don't know what you're going through. I think depression and discouragement is a lot like that. It's this invisible pain and it's emotional pain and it's something that we feel inside and nobody knows it unless, you know, we're so depressed we're not getting out of bed and not going to work or, you know, if if we get to that level, the mangled joint level, where it begins to affect our lives in such dramatic ways. But for the most part, this discouragement is an invisible pain that we just live with and we just go and we just do and we try to live life over top of. Because li- sometimes life is too much and the demands are too great. There's a story in the Bible about a person who had a situation that was too great for him. And turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 and we find we find another story of a time that God get well this one's a little different but you'll see this isn't this isn't a situation where where it's just life this is a situation where actually God is the cause of the problem that almost sounds like blasphemy doesn't it God's the cause of the problem. Well, listen. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, this is the common story, you know it. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. What? Whoa, wait, stop. James says that God doesn't tempt us. Put the brakes on. What's going on here? God's not tempting Abraham to sin. God is testing Abraham's love. Okay, So God is not saying, let's try to get Abraham to fall here. God's saying, I want to try him so that I know and Abraham knows where his heart is. And said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. If you were encouraged before God showed up during his morning prayer time, Abraham has suddenly gotten de- discouraged. This is not good news. This is, when God speaks to you, this is not what you want to hear. And so Abraham... Rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. So Abraham's being obedient, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. Can you imagine? Three days. He knows he's going to be sacrificing his son. He's got his son there. He's got two men to help them with the uh, traveling. And for three days, he's been silently praying. For three days, he knows that he's going to have to do something no parent wants to do. None of us want to see our children pass away. None of us want to experience that. For those who do, it's a terrible, horrible grief. It's even a heavier load when you are the one at fault. You had the accident. You're the one that should have made different choices. And you second-guess yourself. Those situations, the divorce rates skyrocket in the first few years after the death of a child, even if it isn't either one of their faults. But it becomes an issue. It becomes such a challenge that most marriages can't even handle it. But this is worse. This isn't going to be uh, an illness. This isn't going to be uh, an accident. This is going to be a willful choice. And do you know what we call people who kill their own children? Monsters. When I read it in the news and I see fathers that, that beat their kids to death, they Just read one recently. I think it was a little two-year-old. And I think, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? That you would get such anger, such that you beat up a two-year-old. What is wrong with you? There's something in my mind that just... monsters the only word. Now, I know God loves them and God can redeem them. I, I, it's not that I don't want to see them saved, but, but man, there's something revolting about that. Or mothers who've done the same. There's some, just something sickening about those that do that. And here Abraham is going to, he's going to slay his own son and He sees the place afar of off after 3 days. I wonder how Isaac was on that trip. Isaac I don't know, he's probably 18, 20 years old at this time. He's not a, he's not, you know, 6 or 7, he's not 12. He's a young man. And he's probably never seen Abraham so lost in prayer. This must be a special sacrifice. This mu- There's something going on here that Isaac can't put his finger on. I've never seen dad's lips move with no sound coming out like this for three days. That has an incredible burden. Something's going on here. And Abraham said to the young man, abide here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go y- under and worship and come again to you. You see that hope? You see that faith? We're going to come back. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and oh, I'm sorry. Yes. The burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac finally he speaks up, this is this is strange. He's been on sacrifice journeys before. Isaac spake up, said so to Abraham his father, said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb? For a burnt offering. How do you answer that? How do you answer that question when you know God says it's going to be your son? How do you respond to that? You've already been praying for three days. You've already been under an incredible load. You've already been just pressed emotionally. And also physically you've been traveling. You've been praying somehow that you would drop dead of a heart attack before you got there. Really? I don't know how Abraham was praying. I mean, at that point, I'd be grasping at all sorts, I'd be offering God all sorts of solutions to get out of this. And Abraham said, my son, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Now you and I know how the story ends. And you and I know that this is a foreshadowing of Christ and that God would provide a sacrifice for us. We, when we read that, our hearts lift. But I, I don't know how Abraham said those words. Hebrews it seems to indicate that that Abraham had a lot of hope and a lot of faith. In fact, the Hebrew writer tells us he believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. That's it. he's to that place at this point. He believes that God is God's made this promise. God says that that Abraham to, uh, that your son Isaac is going to be the seed of promise, he's the child of promise. Through him all the nations will be blessed. Through him your seed will be as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. Abraham, it's Isaac who's the special one. And Isaac has loved him. He has cherished him. And God says now he's going to be sacrificed. And what God has said doesn't match. And sometimes in our human Small-mindedness. Sometimes God says things that doesn't seem to add up. They seem to contradict each other. And Abraham, for three days, has been thinking and praying about this. And he's come to this conclusion. It must be God's going to raise him from the dead. It's the only way that I can reconcile these two, these two commands, these two promises, these two statements of God. That he's going to be the son of promise that all the world will be blessed and, and I have to sacrifice my son. The only thing that I can assume, the only thing I can make out of it is God's going to raise him from the dead. But Abraham doesn't tell his son that. At this point, all he knows is that God's going to provide himself a lamb, a sacrifice. And maybe it'll be Isaac and maybe it won't be. And so they went both of them together. It's not easy to climb uphill, is it? They're climbing in the mountain. It's hard work. I doubt there was a path. This wasn't a usual place for sacrifice to challenge. And the physical exertion. Abraham's old. He said he's in his hundreds. Not the time to be climbing mountains. The emotional anguish. And they came to the place where God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And he says, Isaac, you're the sacrifice. You're 18, 20 years old, whatever he is, a young man. He says, I'm going to tie you up here. I need you to lay down on the altar. Make it easy for your dad. I can't pick you up. And Abraham does. Or Isaac gets out there. Says, Dad, you do whatever God wants you to do. Isaac's old enough, he doesn't have to do it. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He doesn't have... Abraham didn't surprise his son. He didn't hit him upside the back of the head with a piece of wood and then knock the poor kid out. Isaac says, Dad, if this is what God wants. Lay a hold of him on the altar. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He's still praying. The hand is, one hand is on his son. Make sure his son holds still. He doesn't want the cut, the stab to be ineffective. He doesn't want to make this last any longer than it has to. He's got another hand on the knife. He's raised it and he's still praying. God, did I get my wires crossed? Is this really what you want? I've been serving you a long time. You've never asked for a human sacrifice. Never one of my servants, never anything. You've never asked for a human sacrifice before. Still praying. His lips are still moving, no sound coming out. Talk about discouraged. Talk about life being greater than what you can handle. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. I love this three times. And these just these what? 11 verses. Abraham says, here I am. Here, Here I am. Here am I. I'm right here. When God called him to do something impossible, he said, Lord, here I am. When his son called to him, Dad, what's going on? Here I am, son. And the Lord calls from him, to him out of heaven. He says, Here am I. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, and Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Our study, our our lesson is on the names of God, and if you notice that Abraham calls the place Jehovah-Jireh, doesn't call the Lord Jehovah-Jireh. The reason I've included it in this series is because often we have included Jehovah-Jireh as a name for God. It's in our praise songs, it's in our devotionals. And we have given that as a name for the Lord, not of the place. And I felt like if it would do us a disservice if I ignored it. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. I said that we would get discouraged in spite of our blessings. So what is the value of knowing that the Lord provides if we still get discouraged in the midst of our blessings? I think it's a reminder that even in the midst of our discouragement and yea, even perhaps depression, that God will provide for us what we have need of in His time and in His way. You see, God could have provided that ram any point along that three-day journey. God could have provided that ram anywhere up that mountain. But He didn't. He didn't provide the ram until God saw and that Abraham himself saw that Isaac was completely on the altar. It was God's timing and His way Not Abraham's way. Abraham, I told you, the Hebrew writer thought maybe God would raise him from the dead. Abraham had worked out a way that it could all work out. But it wasn't Abraham's way. It was God's way and in His timing. And we know this is a picture of what will happen, that God the Father would offer Christ, His own Son, to be sacrificed. But you know what's interesting is is the scripture says that in the fullness of time, when God saw that it was the right time, and you know what? Jesus, when he came, the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't like him because Jesus didn't come the way they expected him to, the way they wanted him to. It wasn't their way. I think that one of the reasons we get discouraged so often is because God keeps a different clock than we do, and He and He meets his, the, our needs in at times that are different than the time our schedule, <coughs> and He does it in His own way. He doesn't do it the way I want Him to do it. Do you know when I want God to meet my need? either right before I know I have a need or shortly after. It's not related to when the need must be met. It's related to when I feel the need. Because if there's one emotion I don't like to feel is needy. I don't like to have a need. And honestly, I had this really bad habit. And I feel like the Lord has helped me to grow in this area. I think I'm getting better. I hope I'm getting better in this area. I hope I'm not delusional. But man, I, I, I was taught to be self-sufficient. I mean, from, the, from my earliest years, I was taught, do it for yourself because nobody else is going to. I believe I was 9 or 10 years old when I started getting myself up and ready for school in the mornings. My parents slept in. I had to set the alarm. I had to make sure I got on the bus. And I was told, don't wake them up if I miss the bus. It was my own problem. And that was from my earliest memories that I had to take care of myself. No one else was going to do it. And you know what? That's bled into my Christian walk. And I don't like to feel needy. Pardon me. I don't want to feel that I have to depend on someone else. If I have a need, I want to work for it, I want to do what I need to do, and I want to take care of that. But there have been a lot of times in my Christian walk that God has worked the opposite of my training. And God says, I want you to rely on me. I want you to trust in me. I want you to let me Work it out. I said, Lord, I want it worked out right now then. And God says, no, no. My way. My time. See, the Lord will provide, but he provides under his conditions. We, I, I've said this so many times before, and, and I don't mean to make it a hobby, but But in our American church culture, we've gotten this idea that God serves us. If we say the right words and we have the right little faith formula, that God will do what we want Him to do. It didn't work for Abraham, the father of faith. God didn't operate the way Abraham wanted God to operate. He wanted the ram a lot sooner. He wanted the situation resolved a lot sooner. But God didn't do it the way Abraham wanted him to do it, and he didn't do it when Abraham wanted him to do it. And you know what? I'm sure David wanted to be king a lot sooner than he was before he ever got to be king. And even after Saul died, there was a few years of, of civil war. Even after Saul was removed from from being king. He's not, he's not king. He still has another war to fight. And I mean, that's gotta be discouraging. He's been running around. He's been, he's been, you know, trying to flee from Saul and he's trying to do the right thing. And no matter how many times he does the right thing, Saul still wants to kill him. I'm sure there are times that, that David said, Lord, I know I'm I can't slay Saul. I know that he's your anointed and I can't touch him, but could you just kill him for me? If you read some of the Psalms, he, the way he prays about his enemies is not very Christ-like. Lord, dig a pit for my enemies. Help them to fall in the pit they dug for me. Lord, discourage my enemy. I mean, man, you read some of what David, what he prays for about his enemies. Man... Makes a New Testament Christian squirm. David has no love for his enemies. God doesn't do it that way. God doesn't do it when David wants him to do it. How many of the prophets prayed that Israel would turn their hearts back to God? And how many times that after they were taken into captivity did they pray that the captivity would end and that they would be brought home? And God did it in His time and in His way. The Lord is my provider, Jehovah-Jireh. We, we can't use His name like a rabbit's foot. That God's just, you know, I, I've I've got this little, you know, I he's my provider, and I'm praying Jehovah Jireh, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do a little Jehovah Jireh dance, you know, to get rain. You know how it is. We go through it, we, in our American culture. It's like we've tried to turn this into some kind of magic root tr- trick. It isn't about having the right name. It's not about. It's not about making God us. It's about us surrendering to the fact that God will provide, but on His time and in His way. And I don't want to let Him. And if you're honest, you don't either. Because we have this convoluted idea that we know best. I know what's best for me. You, one of the things that's really opened your eyes to, to our relationship with God is becoming a parent, at least it did for me. My kids always know what's best for them, and I don't, I, get, I was gonna say, more often than not, they're wrong. Maybe that's unfair. It seems like it, anyways, from the dad perspective. That it seems like they're so wrong. You said, That's not the no, that's not what's best for you. Why are you doing that? Do you want to get yourself killed? But where are we going? Where are we going to? Where am I going to allow for them to make their own choices? We know what's best. And do you know it's the, the number one place where people walk away from the Lord is in those those years, those teen years. And in their early twenties, they walk away from God because they finally get the chance to prove their way works. And those of us who've lived long enough know that it doesn't. The broken marriages and the and the children out of wedlock and the diseases and the drugs and the addictions and all those things. Those of us have lived long enough, we we that's why we're here is because we've 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 seen it, and we, we're not, we're not, we realize that, man, when we do our own thing, it, we often end up making a mess of it. We're, do you know what? Whether we're 15, 25, or 105, we haven't lived long enough to know what's best. Only God does. Because part of the difficulty is, is we don't know the future. We know the present, and we know the past, and we don't even know either one of those very well. If we're really honest. So in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of our disappointments, and maybe even our depression, let's hold to the fact that he is our provider. Not that he's going to do it our way, but he is the God who does know what's best. And he will provide his way and in his timing. And when we look back, we will say, that was right. And if I look back at my past, if I look back at my Christian walk, I can realize that God didn't work in my timing And not all of them can I see why God did that, how his way was better than mine. Some of them I don't know. But there's a lot of them I can look back and say, oh boy. Man, I was praying for the wrong thing there. Man, I'm glad that God didn't answer my prayer with a yes on that one. Oh boy. Oh, I look back at that situation. Man, that God's timing was just right. I'm so glad that I was careful that that I that I trusted him. Maybe I didn't feel like trusting him in the moment. But he was right. And what you're going through this morning, whatever it might be, I want you to know that God will provide what you need in sufficient quantities of what you whatever it is you need. They needed a ram, God provided a ram. God will meet the need. In fact, He may even go overboard. Often, He seems to. He will meet the need. But it will be His way. It wasn't a lamb. It was a ram. Even, Even Abraham's almost prophetic statement, God provided a ram, not a lamb. God did it His way. In His timing. And it was right. And if we can believe that, if we can really believe that this morning. I'm not saying we won't have discouragements. I'm not saying that we won't have disappointments. And I'm not saying that you suddenly will not suffer from depression. What I'm saying is, is if we can get a hold of that. It's a light to help guide us through those dark places. And if we really get a hold of that. Maybe, just maybe, we might be willing to do something we never thought we could do before. Abraham never thought he could climb up Moriah's hill. But he was able to because he believed God was his provider. And you just might be surprised in what God allows you to do because you believe that he is the God who provides. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we're all carrying heavy loads burdens, struggles, disappointments, and maybe some this morning are even discouraged, sad, perhaps lonely, and perhaps they're going through things that they haven't been able to tell anyone else. They're just going through it all by themselves. Help us to see that you are Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. I know you don't do it our way. And I know you don't do it in our time. But Lord, help us to hold on to that as a hope and as a light. That whatever we're going through, that we can trust that you will provide. Don't allow us, Lord, to give in to despair, a hopelessness that comes by not believing that you love us, a hopelessness that comes from not believing that you will see us through. But help us to hold fast to who you are, to your character, to your faithfulness. Lord, as we hold on to you, we know that you'll pull us through. Be with us as we go our separate ways. And may we find you to be all that you promised to be. In your name we pray. Amen.